Good morning, everyone. You know, when I was in Bible school, one of my favorite classes was world history. And I know I've lost some of you already, but bear with me. World history was a lot of fun because we had a really great professor. They brought in this university professor from Okanagan College, and he had all these degrees behind his name. But he was young, and he was passionate about world history. And so uh, I want to just say a, a brief thank you to all of you teachers who bring that passion to whatever it is that you're teaching, whether it's mathematics or, or English or shop, because it's your passion for for that subject that will be something that impacts the students long after they've forgotten you. So we had this young guy, and he was really passionate about world history, and this was our textbook for the class, A Brief History of the Western World. Now, I actually went through and highlighted all the pages for it, so I actually read all of the book, and it's 600 pages long. Brief? (laughs) For some of you, that's not your idea of a brief history, and maybe not for me, but when you think about it, we took history from the very beginnings of humanity right up to the 20th century. So when you're trying to compact 10,000 years of human history uh, into one book, into 600 pages, well, maybe that is pretty brief. But I want to make it even more brief for you this morning. I want to summarize. You see, we had an assignment where we had to summarize the entire book in one paragraph and then intelligently defend our summary. I want to go one step further, though. I want to summarize not just the book. I want to summarize all of human history in two basic thoughts. Number one, empires rise and fall. And number two, people kill each other. That's pretty much it. I mean, you think about the Egyptian empire. At one time, one of the greatest empires on the planet. The only one of the seven ancient wonders that is still standing are the pyramids. Amazing achievements in Egypt. Power and influence. An empire that lasted for almost 30 centuries. 30 centuries. That is a long, long time. You want to have an interesting little piece of trivia? Cleopatra actually is closer in time to us than she was to the ancient pyramids. The ancient pyramids were built longer before Cleopatra than she is from us. That's how long the Egyptian empire lasted. It was an amazing power, and yet it died. Egypt is not the power today that it was once. Empires rise and empires fall. And and killing people? (laughs) Yeah, the Egyptians were pretty good at killing people too. You don't just have to read your Bibles to know about that. It's written all through the pages of history as well. The Egyptian um, throne was a time of subterfuge and killing. Even one of the most famous uh, pharaohs that we know of, King Tut, one of the most famous pharaohs in our day and age, for the longest time, archaeologists actually thought that he died by being murdered um, by other people who wanted his throne. They've recently proposed other theories on how he died, but regardless, the ancient Egyptians were pretty good at killing a lot of people. They even wrote a book, Book of the Dead, that, that detailed how to embalm all the rich and famous. They killed each other. Now think about another great empire of the past, the Roman Empire. I mean, that one as well, that spanned most of the known Western world, lasted about five centuries until it finally crumbled. Empires rise and empires fall. And 
brutal. I mean, you want to talk about a brutal empire. Crucifixion, the Romans' preferred method of killing people, is pretty much one of the worst ways to die slowly and painfully. And Rome was implacably brutal at killing its enemies. The Byzantine Empire, the Mongol Empire, the Aztec Empire, the Japanese Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the British Empire, all of them had a period of ascendancy, a period where they were consolidating control and growing, and all of them had a gradual decline until their eventual collapse. All of them. Human empires rise and fall. And all of them were pretty good at holding on to power by killing anyone who disagreed with them. That's how an empire grows, is by brutally and efficiently killing people who dissent, killing the rebellious. Empires rise and fall, and people kill each other. And that's it, man. That is it. In a nutshell, that is human history. And when you think about today, <laughs> we really haven't gotten any better. We haven't gotten any more morally superior. We have simply become more efficient at killing each other. I mean, for the last century, America has been the primary power in the world. And for the last 70 years, uh, the Soviet empire kind of acted as a foil to the American empire. And we had these two world-dominating forces that that played off of each other. And then 1991, all of a sudden, the USSR collapsed. The whole empire just crumbled immediately, almost overnight. And if you're looking at America right now, it's entirely possible that that empire, that world power is also crumbling right before our very eyes. It could happen within our lifetimes. Empires rise and empires fall. And by the way, the Chinese empire, that's growing, right? We're seeing it start to rise to ascendancy in our world. All of the facts and deeds, all of the achievements and accolades, all of the aspirations and accomplishments of humanity, all of human history can be summarized in this way. People kill each other. Empires rise and fall. And really, when you think about it, I mean, you have to have been living under a rock these last 30 years or so. This period of peace and prosperity that we've enjoyed Here in the West, not in other parts of the world, but here in the West, we think that this period that we've lived in where we are healthy and wealthy and so much better than everyone else, we think this is the norm. But it isn't. This is the aberration that you and I are living in. This period of wealth and prosperity and peace, this is not the norm. Killing each other is the human norm. Death and destruction is the norm. Raping and pillaging, famine and flood, burning and destroying, this is what people do to each other. People are absolutely awful at their core. Broken and fallen. Sin. And without some kind of checks and balances, without some sort of outside force that is trying to put a check on our behavior, without some kind of police or judges or some sort of higher power, the king and his army, or maybe belief in a higher power like God, we're just going to continue on in our pernicious path of petty power, wrath and wanton wickedness. Each one of us mired 
in our own megalomania. We need to be saved from ourselves. The ancient psalmist lived in a time of uh, chaos and upheaval. The world was in a crazy place, disease and pestilence, famine and death. And occasionally, you could carve out for yourself a reasonably comfortable life, reasonably safe for you and your family for a brief period of time. But it was an illusion. You could wake up at any moment and everything could be gone. Wild animals could have attacked in the night and killed off your entire flock. A a, a storm could blow through, dropping hail and flattening your crops. And there was nothing that you could do about it. A plague of locusts could fly in out of nowhere like we saw when we looked at the book of Joel. Or perhaps even worse, invading armies suddenly showing up at your door to kill you or to subjugate you. It could all change in a moment. There were a million ways to die in the ancient Near East. And really, it's not that much different here in Canada in 2020. There are, there are literally a million ways to die Empires rise, empires fall, people kill each other. And so how does the psalmist keep his bearing in the midst of all of this uncertainty, in the midst of all of this chaos? What does he find to cling to, to hold on to? What is is the foundation, the firm foundation that he holds to in the middle of all of this craziness of life? It is simply this. Psalm 75 Verse 1 to 3. We thank you, O God. We give thanks because you are near. People everywhere tell of your mighty miracles. God says, at the time that I have planned, I will bring justice against the wicked. When the earth quakes and its people live in turmoil, I am the one who keeps the foundations firm. Psalm 75, verse 1 to 3. Psalm 75 starts off with this assertion that God is above all human empires and civilizations, that God is higher than any emperor or pharaoh or king, and that God preserves his planet, that he is involved in in helping us, that he rescues the fallen ones, that he looks after his people, that no matter what happens, no matter the circumstances, no matter who's in power, no matter what threatens us, no matter what God is near to his people, and we can rest and trust in that fact. When other countries interfere in our elections, when when, when we, the trade deals that we work out don't feel like they're in our favor, when the person that we voted into power is not someone that we even think is competent, none of that really matters compared to the reality that God is in control. The Lord endures forever. He's the one who keeps the foundations firm. You know, last week Scott preached on Psalm 74 and it was a great sermon. And I know that image is etched in your minds just like it's kind of etched in mine. Scott shaking his fist and saying, hey God, what's going on here? It was a really good sermon and it really touched a nerve in my own soul and Definitely hit me where I was at last week for sure. Thank you, Scott. But you know, in many respects, Psalm 75 is an answer 
is part of the answer to the questions that are raised in Psalm 74. That plea, that question, that lament, God, where are you? What are you doing? How long until you fix this? And the answer is this. I am God. I am sovereign. I am in control. Everything that is happening is going according to my plan. Trust me. You can trust me. Because not only am I powerful, but I love you. And I'm doing what is best for you. This is what this psalm says. And so the psalmist tries to warn the proud, which is really all of us, right? He tries to warn us about our pride. I warned the proud, verse 4, stop your boasting. I told the wicked, don't raise your fists. Don't raise your fists in defiance at the heavens or speak with such arrogance. For no one on earth, from east or west or even from the wilderness, should raise a defiant fist. It is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and who will fall. Now, I feel like I should clarify here because the reality is sometimes, like Scott illustrated for us last week, we do raise our fists to heaven. All of us are tempted, like Job was in the book of Job, to, to, to shake our fists at God and say, hey God, what, what's going on here? And this is actually not what the psalmist is talking about here in Psalm 75. This isn't a turning to God in our bewilderment and saying, God, I don't understand. Can you let me in on what you're doing? Asking him to give you a little wisdom or a little enlightenment. No. No, this is different. This is a turning away from God. This is a defiance. The word defiance is used twice in this passage. It's a rebellion against his sovereignty. This is not asking God what he's doing. This is the assumption that he doesn't know what he's doing. Or, or worse, that he's doing something evil. Wicked. You see, Eliphaz in the book of Job, he accuses Job of clenching his fist against God, against the heavens in Job 15, 25. But there's a categorical difference between those who clench their fists against God and those who clench their fists toward God. I read an article this week. It was called, Never Blame God. And in it, the, the writer argues that when we don't understand, it is sinful for us to bring our frustration or our anger to God. Anger at God is always a sin. This was his assertion. I couldn't disagree more. I think that a view like that, don't be angry with God, is unhelpful, impractical, superficial, and borderline heretical. This is why maybe I'm not a Calvinist. <laughs> I think God wants us 
to come to him when we are confused, when we lack answers, when we're hurting, when we don't understand what is going on in the world or how it is that he is the one who is keeping the foundations firm. As a matter of fact, I think that that might be the purest form of faith that there is. Not that you go to God when you already have all the answers, but that you turn to him when you don't understand, when, when you don't know what's going on, when you've reached the end of your hoarded resources, the Father's full giving has only begun. I think that's true faith, going to God in your anger and your hurt and your fear and your frustration. So here in Psalm 75, the psalmist is warning us that we don't turn away from God. We don't shake our fists in defiance at him. We don't assume that he is no longer in control simply because we don't understand what he's doing. It's a warning to the proud. It's, it's a warning to those who think that they know better than God, the ones who set themselves up as the judge of God. You just don't know enough about what's going on in the world. You just don't know enough about how this world works. You just don't know enough. And you never will. And so you must learn to trust. It's better to have faith when you don't know. Why is society the way that it is? Why is it so broken and so messed up? Why do people sexually abuse the innocent God and, and seem to get away with it? Pedophile island? Like, come on. Can you do something about that? Why do rioters and looters somehow seem to get a pass? Like, as long as you're destroying someone else's property and spray painting graffiti and tearing down statues, you're not, you're not going to catch a disease? Like, Lord... Why do people listen to the World Health Organization, God? Those guys don't know what they're doing. Why is government so corrupt? Not just my government, Lord. All government. Doesn't even seem to matter how I vote because everyone is corrupt. Why does the church suffer and the world doesn't seem to care. It doesn't even make the news when Christians are being killed. Why are Nigerian Christians getting persecuted and killed right now and nobody even knows about it? Why are young African girls who love Jesus, why are they getting raped by human animals who are kidnapping them and forcing them into marriages that they don't want and taking their babies away from them and, and raising them in another faith? Why is this happening, God, and why are you allowing it? Here in North America, why do babies have to die? Why is it that, that a mom can, can look at the growing life within her and think that her best solution is to, is to kill that human being? Why am I suffering, God? Why, why do I have cancer? Why do I have MS? Why am I sick? Why is it that this world right now is under lockdown from a global pandemic? Why, God? 
And, and how long, Lord? How long until you do something about all of this? How long are you going to delay? How long until you act, God? You know, in the way that the psalmist describes, we sometimes wind up finding ourselves looking for help and for answers from places other than God. The, the east or the west or, or even from the wilderness. And here's the reality. There are no answers there. Are you looking to a politician, to a leader to be your answer? There's no answer there. Are you looking to a political system to be your answer? There's no answer there. Are you looking for that, that doctor who's going to come on TV and, and placate you with lies and mistruths about the science? There's no answer there. Are you going to listen to organizations that are in bed with communists? There's no answer there. And are you going to look to that TV preacher with the great smile who's trying to sell you snake oil and tickle your ears? There's no answer there. And there's no answer within you either. It's not just a matter of looking into my heart and doing what I think is right, living out my own truth. That's garbage. They don't come from behavior modification, trying to figure out what kind of behavior is acceptable by the crowd and, and just kind of adjusting your behavior so that you fit in, so that you don't get castigated. They, they don't come from that, just trying to act like a better human. That's not an answer. They don't come from your paycheck. It doesn't come from your job security. There's no answer in your home. They don't come from your best plans, carefully laid out with all the best wisdom and, and, and piety and sincerity that you think you can muster, there's no answer there. Hear again what Scripture says. It is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and who will fall. Now, in the context of this psalm, we understand that he's talking about the empires that were rising and falling at that time. The Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Medes and the Persians, right? The evil empires that came in and conquered and subjugated poor Israel. The wicked kings who tore down the, the temple in Israel so that the people couldn't worship the Lord anymore. Took them away to a strange land by the rivers of Babylon. We sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. That's what it's talking about in its time but in our day and age this scripture is still speaking and it's talking about the kingdoms that are rising and falling uh, amongst us in our day and right now the kingdoms that are rising and the kingdoms that are falling it's talking about the evil men and women in our day who are coming on our computers and our television sets and and speaking lies to us all the time all the time. I mean, it's talking about the corruption in the world and it's talking about the corruption in the church. It's talking about all of it, all of us, all of sinful, fallen, broken, wicked humanity. And scripture says, God says, I alone am judge. I am the one who decides who will rise and fall. And you know what? It's also talking about you right here in Scripture. God is the one who's in charge of your life. He's the one 
who's in control. He's the one righteous judge who will judge all of your actions and all of your thoughts. And whether you rise or whether you fall, that too is in the hands of God. Look at verse 8. <laughs> such a powerful verse, such a potent image. The Lord holds a cup in his hand. It is full of foaming wine mixed with spices. And he pours that wine out in judgment. And all the wicked must drink it. Draining it to the dregs. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to preach my entire sermon on this one verse. On this one powerful image. This one metaphor. I hope some of you are captured by that image. The, the Lord holds a cup in his hand. And maybe you're going to go to your Bibles this week and you're going to study places like the book of Revelation and, and other places. And, and the significance of God holding a cup of wine, holding a bowl of judgment and then tipping it out and pouring out that judgment over all the planet of earth. I hope you'll spend some time looking into that yourself. But let's read on. Because here's a promise for the faithful. Verse 9. But as for me, I will always proclaim what God has done. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. For God says, I will break the strength of the wicked, but I will increase the power of the godly. We cannot ever hope that any human being is ever completely in control for good or for evil. We cannot hope that about our government, yet even closer to home, we cannot even hope that about ourselves. I am not the master of my own fate. I am not the captain of my own ship. We cannot hope in that. But what we can hope in is we can hope in God. God is in control. God is the one who is sovereign. He's the one who's allowing China to ascend. He is the one who's causing America to fall. God is the one who's causing this global pandemic. And if you die from COVID-19, God is ultimately the one who determines that, just as God is the one who is currently keeping you safe from COVID-19. We know from our Bibles and we know from human history that God is not sleeping. He's not inattentive. He's not busy off doing something else, somewhere else. He was and is and always will be the Lord of human history. He protects and guides his people. He preserves the faithful even in times of war and famine, disease and pestilence. And he has made promises to us that one day in his time, Kairos, not Kronos, in his time, he will perfectly execute judgment over all the earth. He's promised us that. Now, I've called my sermon The Lion and the Lamb, partly because as Matthew and I were talking about the message and, and, and the worship, we, we just thought that was the, the idea that God was really trying to bring out, that God wanted to reassure us with that thought this week. And so we hit that idea in the worship songs, the Lion and the Lamb Revelation song, and I'm hitting that idea here in Psalm 75 because that's all that the Psalms really are, right? The longest book of our Bibles is really just a collection of the words to songs that people sang back in the day, inspired by God, but the lyrics to songs. 
There is something about singing a song that, that the truth of that just resonates more deeply. And, and so I want to just conclude my sermon and move into our application by, by reading to you the song that we've already sang together, The Lion and the Lamb. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is a lion, a lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and he's fighting our battles and every knee will bow before him. Our God is the lamb, the lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. His blood breaks the chains and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. This world is pretty messed up. And that's just normal. That's how people are without God in their lives. People are going to keep on being completely awful to each other. Empires are going to rise. Empires are going to fall. That's just the reality of human history. But behind that reality, there is an even deeper reality. And I summarized history, human history, in two thoughts. Empires rise and fall. People kill each other. But let me go behind human history to God's history, to God's sovereign agenda, to God's plan for this planet. And let me summarize what God is up to with two thoughts as well. God is powerful and God is good. God is powerful. He is the lion who roars and God is good. He is the lamb who was slain. He's your judge but he's also your father. Jesus his son is full of truth which can be pretty scary but he's also full of grace and mercy, love and forgiveness. John 114. So maybe you're in a place right now where you have just clenched your fist against God. Maybe you're not even looking at him anymore. Maybe you're not even raising your fists. They're just down by your side and your head is bowed and you've, you've turned away from God. He's not answering your questions and so in your anger, you're looking somewhere else. There's nowhere else to turn. I want to encourage you that, that if that's how you're feeling, to, to turn back to God. You see, the message of salvation is really quite simple. That when we come to God with our sin, with our wickedness, when we come to God with our failings, when we come to God with our misunderstandings, when we come to God with our doubts and our fears, when we come to God with our hurts, and we simply say, Jesus, I believe that you took all of these things on the cross when you died, and God forgives us. And so if, if that's you, if you're clenching your fists and you've turned away from God, let me, let me just invite you back. There is no answer anywhere else. 
Come back to God. If you need a little help with that, if you need someone to talk to, the door to my office is always open. I know how difficult it can be. Maybe for some of you, you're kind of like Job in the book of Job, and you're, you're shaking your fist, and you're shaking your fist at God, and you're saying, Lord, what are you up to? What, what are you doing? What, why don't I understand? Can you please let me in? How long until, until you fix this, Lord? And, and maybe you're shaking your fist at the Lord because of what's going on in the world, or maybe you're shaking your fist at God because of what's going on in your life, but let me just assure you of this reality. God is in control. He is the lion, but he is also the lamb. He's the one who loves you, and everything that he does is for your good. You can trust in that. And so maybe as you're shaking your fist at him, maybe you need to take that moment in in simple trust and simple faith to just open up your hand so that he can reach down and take you by the hand. Maybe you just need to do a hand check. And instead of a clenched fist to God, maybe you need to open your hands to him. You need to rest in his goodness and the fact that he is in control. He is. And then there's some of you that are just, you're in that great place and you're resting and abiding in the presence of God and and your hope is placed on him. Your hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And and it's like he's covering you with his wings, like it says in scripture. And you're just, you're snuggling up to the God of the universe and you're feeling safe and secure from all alarms. If you are in that amazing place of rest, maybe you need to look out from that place and you need to look for that person in your life who is still got clenched fists and maybe maybe it's your prayers or maybe it's your encouraging words maybe it's your kindness maybe it is your gentle invitation maybe you are what that other person needs right now rather than your judgment and your superiority maybe it's your kindness that will lead someone else back to Jesus maybe that's what God's asking you to do this week is to just be his hands and feet of love and welcome and invitation to someone else. Come back to Jesus wherever you are. The cup is in his hands. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who keeps the foundations firm. He's the lion. He is the lamb. And maybe we just need to learn to rest not on our circumstances, but on his promises. I will sing the praises of God, my God, the God of Israel. Amen.